You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Time to lock and load. Time to get control. Time to search for soul. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayArko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. We're finally going to wrap up our combine talk. If we can remember anything that has happened since the last time we had talked, because we had basically back-to-back Donovan Smith episodes with the kind of news and then the actual news. Um, But David, I believe we left off needing to talk about the defensive line, the linebackers and the defensive backs. Now the defensive line and the linebackers spoke to the media on Saturday, which as I mentioned on a previous podcast was the day that my children decided to Vomit all over my parents' house, so I was not able to be there for those interviews. Um, but of course, the defensive line with the Bucks picking at number five, there are some names out there that fans and and people would like to see them go after. There's of course Quinn and Williams, and there's Josh Allen, and there's Ed Oliver, and Brian Burns, and who who's your favorite guy, Gary out of Michigan. You know, there Montez Sweat has been has been mocked to the Bucks recently. So there are some names out there if the Bucks stay at five or they have some options if they were to trade back. Um, kind of what stood out to you as far as the defensive linemen were concerned? Uh, I really liked Ed Oliver. Uh his his he's got a really good personality and and the way he was handling the questions was was real smooth and real methodical and it really didn't feel rehearsed. And I know all these guys get coaching uh dealing with the media, which which they should. Uh, but the, the key is not making it feel like it's canned. You know, um, I remember not to, to rehash old stuff, but like, like Debo Samuel was, I was just transferring some of the audio we collected from, from the combine today on my computer and Debo Samuel answered a whole lot of questions with some very generic canned answers. And, uh, it's not that it is going to hurt their stock or anything by any means. Um, it's just for what we do and how we, what we kind of bring to the picture, as far as football is concerned, it really doesn't allow us to add any type of value for, for anything, but at Oliver was open, you know, he was, he was talking about uh, some of the people thinking he can play the edge. Some people thinking he can play inside some people thinking he fit better as a linebacker. I can't remember which team I want to say Seattle off the top of my head, but don't hold me to it. I think he said specifically talk to him about being a linebacker. So uh, I know there was, uh, there was some, some, some mild anger when Lance Zerline speculated that Ed Oliver might get played as a linebacker uh, in, in some schemes. But it turns out there is at least one one team, even if it's not the Seahawks. Like I said, he did say that one team specifically was was talking to him saying, we're looking at you as a linebacker. Um, so that was interesting. And then I'm sure we're going to get into Devin White, but the whole Ed Oliver and Devin White and the horses, um, it was just, it was great. Um, just, just, Hearing those guys talk about uh, kind of something that they're passionate about and that they share uh, w- was pretty cool. So um, from the interviews, that was really the biggest thing. I mean, for uh, Josh Allen said all the right things, didn't say anything wrong. Brian Burns uh, was pretty uh, pretty impressive. Nick Bosa, uh, same thing. I mean, there, I don't think there were any kind of, any real crazy moments. 
from kind of your marquee names uh, out of those groups? You know, looking at this defensive line class, there is some depth there. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of talent up at the top, and, and I heard Daniel Jeremiah saying on on one of the the combine shows that this this draft has a lot of edge rush and interior defensive line depth. So oh, yeah. even if even if the Bucks don't go with a defensive lineman in the first round, doesn't mean that they won't address it in day two, and that they wouldn't find somebody who is effective. Yeah, you, know, you had a guy like. Um, polite out of Florida who, Mm. you know, he, he did not speak well. And, and there are a couple of flags being thrown up about him. And he's a guy that's going to drop out of day one and into day two. You know, that's a guy that maybe the Buccaneers could take a chance on in the second round and, and Bruce can Mm. kind of slap him around a little bit and get his head on straight and, and get production out of him. So, you know, when you, something that we talk about all the time and this will lead into into the linebackers is we talk about the position scarcity. We talk about how, you know, do you want to take the third best defensive lineman or do you want to take the best linebacker? You know, when you look at day two of the draft, are you going to have a better chance at getting a starting caliber edge rusher or a starting caliber interior or, or inside linebacker? The answer is the edge rusher because after – Devin White and Devin Bush and I don't know anyone else you know is, uh, is there, Mac I, Wilson is Mac kind Wilson. of like the third linebacker but I don't I walked away so talking about linebackers uh I was not impressed with Mac Wilson but yeah I mean you have two maybe three starting caliber linebackers in this draft but yeah, you have team. yeah you you have a lot of starting caliber defensive linemen. So you look at that. If the Bucks are in a position to take a a Josh Allen or a Quinnen Williams, do they do that over a Devin Bush? Maybe. It depends on if they feel like Allen or or Williams or or Sweat or Burns or whoever is that kind of game-changing generational talent. Mm-hmm. To me, the smarter decision would be to go for a sure thing starter from day one at a position that isn't nearly as deep. And then you can hopefully hit on a guy later. That's just my opinion. Yeah. And I know people are going to say, you don't draft a linebacker in the top five. You don't, you know, you have to trade back, you have to trade back, but there isn't always a trade to be made. You know, it's, it's again, it's, you're talking about two teams, two general managers that have to come to this agreement and work out the compensation and if that can't happen, you're stuck. You have to draft someone at five. So yeah. you're going to draft the guy that you want, regardless of your draft position. Does anybody care if if the Buccaneers draft Devin White or, or Quinnen Williams or, or Ed Oliver at number five if they turn into a Hall of Fame player? No. You don't care where he was drafted at that point. Does anybody care that Quan Alexander was drafted in the fourth round? Absolutely not. That's not going to impact his free agency talks. What matters is the production. And if you're going to wait until day two or day three to draft a linebacker, chances are the production is not going to be there because this is not a good linebacker group. The, I would I would say that the linebackers in this draft are comparable to that of the quarterbacks in this draft. You might have two starters out of this group. After that, it's a crapshoot, man. Right. I mean, at the at to boil it down to its most basic 
factors, which isn't going to give uh, a fair evaluation to the entire process. But really, when you when you break it down to to strip it down to just the skeleton of it, right? The first thing you're going to evaluate when you're talking about draft prospects is their their floor, i.e., what can they bring to the team today? Um, that's that's kind of where you're starting. What can this what can this guy do for me today? And actually, before that, you're asking yourself what you need to get better at. That's that's actually the first thing. And then you're looking at guys that help you get better in that position. Now, the next question is, how do they help us get better at something we need to get better at today? Then it's, how might they be able to help us tomorrow? And then it's, how long might they be able to play this game? And then it's, how much are those contracts going to cost down the down the road? Like, there's so many different questions, but the first thing you have to start with is, what can this guy do? And that's that's the first thing. I mean, I can't speak for every general manager, right? But to to the to the guys who have done scouting before or in scouting or or running the educational programs, whatever, the people that I've spoken to, and it's not everybody, so take it with a grain of salt. The first thing every general manager wants to know from a scout is what can this kid do for us? That's the first thing they want to know. They want they don't want to hear about character concerns. They don't want to hear about medical. They want to hear about what can this guy do for us. Because if you look at a running back, and as a scout, as as the four scouts who have looked over this kid either in person and tape or a combination of the two, or at the combine, and you look at your general manager and you say, this kid doesn't fit what we're trying to do at running back. Then he's not on your board and you can move on. You don't even need to get to the medical, to the character, to the production, to the future. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't even have to get there because if he can't do anything in 2019, then you don't need him in 2019. Now, depending on how your roster is, is, is shaped up and the Patriots are really good at doing this. Some other teams are really good at doing this. Maybe you can spend a fourth round pick on a guy that you're not expecting to produce this year. You're looking to, to produce next year. But that's why he's a third or fourth or fifth round guy, not a first round guy. Because even the Patriots or the Rams or the Saints, they're not looking for a first round guy. Like you look at Marcus Davenport, right? The reason the New Orleans Saints were comfortable spending a first round draft pick, trading up to spend a first round draft pick on Marcus Davenport was because what he could give them in 2018 was what they needed, they felt, to get to the Super Bowl. And in part, it damn near worked. So that was why there was value there. Now, if the Buccaneers trade up in the first round to grab Marcus Davenport, well, it's stupid. And that's why they didn't do it, because what he brought to the Buccaneers in 2018 would not justify the investment. So that's that's why all these things are so different. And uh, this year I didn't write. Uh, last year, the, the last few years, right, on Peter Plank, I've always written a winners and losers from the scouting combine. But this year I didn't really do that because, for one, I don't know what – Todd Bowles is actually trying to do with his defense. Like we got the three, four and the four, two, five and, and all that other crazy crap. But what is Todd Bowles actually looking to build on the defense? Because um, I don't even know if he was, I'm sure he was in Indy, but we never saw him or wait. No, I did see him at one point. Yeah. Actually. We saw him outside of Starbucks, but I was yeah, talking to him. So the only information I have on what Todd Bowles is trying to do and, and find in prospects is from what Carmen Vitale wrote. Uh, from her conversation with him on Buccaneers.com, which is he's looking for guys who have the what is he? I can't remember what he called it exactly. Basically, it's the face to play football or football face. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but so, Todd Bowles knows what it means. Todd Bowles knows what it means, which is the important part, right? Because I look at articles and, and I kind of brought this one up uh, specifically to talk about tonight with you. So, like NFL.com called Greedy Williams a winner from the scouting combine, right? I and I know we're not at defense backs yet. Forgive me. I one hundred percent call Greedy Williams a a loser 
for this combine because I'm looking at him from a Buccaneers lens. And what I can expect from Todd Bowles or what I do expect from Todd Bowles is that he wants physical corners who are good in press and good right off the line of scrimmage. Greedy Williams is none of those things. Like he has decent physicality down the road, down, downfield into the stem, into the break. He's got good athleticism. He he's, he's good at reading the ball and playing the ball in the air. I got all that. What Todd Bowles though is wanting is guys who can defend Drew Brees. Drew Brees has got the fastest gun in the NFL. Greedy Williams gets beat off the line all the time, all the time. He didn't show any any quicker feet off of any lines during any drills than I've seen in in limited video that I've watched. I've never seen him in person, so again, a great assault, right? But that's why, to me, when I look at a guy like Greedy Williams, I see a loss in there because guess what? He's got a fast forty, and I appreciate that, but. NFL receivers also have fast 40s. And when a guy like Julio Jones or a guy like Calvin Ridley or a guy like Curtis Samuel, one of those guys beats you off the line because that's where you're weakest as Greedy Williams and that quarterback goes to hit them behind you, your 40 time is not going to help you catch up enough to make that play. So you've still gotten burned. Or when you're getting burned off the line and you're getting hit on a 10-yard slant that turns into 15 because you're out of position, your 40 times not going to help you. Your ball skills in the air aren't going to help you because the ball's not going to be in the air. It's going to be in the receiver's hand behind you or in front of you. So that's why a guy like Greedy Williams, if you're looking at him through that lens, had a very bad combine. But if you're looking at him through a lens where we're going to give him top coverage or we're going to play him in a zone or we're going to allow him to have room to let his athleticism shine, then he won because he definitely showed the ability to do that. He definitely showed the ability to move in space and catch the ball. Uh, or read the ball, read the trajectory, and and defer his path. So that's why I didn't do winners and losers because it's just two different lenses, and uh, you know it's just it's just one of those things. It kind of went all over the place there. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying about greedy, and and I realize a lot of people want him because they just assume that he's the top corner on you know of of this draft, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to fit with the or what Todd Bowles does. And honestly, he's not the right fit and and it's something that i've said and i think you agreed with me i can't remember those the bucks don't need to use a day one pick on a corner they may not even need to use a day two pick they could but this is an incredibly young secondary you know your veteran in this secondary is vernon hargraves who has missed the majority of the last two seasons like you need to find a veteran a voice in that in that defensive backs room to help these young guys, to help Carlton and to help, you know, to help Vernon. So drafting another young corner, I don't think is the right direction to go in when there's needs at linebacker and at you know defensive line, you know, regardless of what system they're gonna run. And you know, they could draft a you know defensive lineman and they can move Vea over to the the three four end or or they can you know move one of these interior linemen to the three four end or they can you know take a, a polite or a burns and they can play outside linebacker and, and shift Levante and so there's a lot that you can do, but you have to address that front seven. You have to have depth, you have to have guys that can not only get after the quarterback or they can drop in coverage. I saw somebody sit there and tell me that drafting Devin White would be stupid because you don't draft a pass rusher in the top five that has eight and a half sacks in three years. Um, 
Devin White's not a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. He's the best all-around linebacker in the draft. Not not pass rusher, all-around linebacker. He's the sideline-to-sideline guy. And the thing about Devin White is he's he will be a day-one starter the minute he puts on that cap and holds up that jersey on the stage. He is a starter. And he will have an impact on the defense. And that impact may not show up on a stat sheet. That impact could be what allows Levante David to stay an outside linebacker and be able to be used to get after the quarterback the way he did under Shiano. His most successful seasons were under Greg Shiano because they blitzed him and they allowed him to get after the quarterback. And he was a difference maker and an impact guy. And I'm not saying that Levante hasn't been that but that gives him the freedom to be able to do a lot of things because now you don't need Levante to be the sideline to sideline guy that he is. Now you have Devin white to do that. Devin white is chasing down the ball carriers. Devin white is dropping into coverage. Levante David is pinning his ears back and he and JPP are rushing at the same time. Well, what does your offensive line do? Well, now you got to pick up JPP and you got to pick up Levante. That means Carl Nassib is coming around the other side and the quarterback's getting their head taken off. These are the things that shift around when you're able to put these kind of athletes on a defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How's that? No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and that's, and, and you have to understand too, the difference between like production is one marker, right? Uh, the problem with any of these conversations is when you, when you get into a conversation with someone who uses anything as a definitive. Okay. Like, like I sit here and tell you that greedy Williams didn't do anything to tell me that he's going to be better impressed than he was at LSU. And some people can say that's not fair because he wasn't able to complete all the drills. Okay. I agree, but until he shows different, that's that's all I have to go off of is is what I've already seen. And unfortunately, in, in the way this works, he's just not going to have the opportunity because even at pro days, you're not going to go full contact and pads and all this stuff. You're still going to be in shorts and t-shirts and and all this other crap. So if you're looking at him through through the lens that I'm looking at him, and you have the opinion that I have, there's really not a lot that he can do, but. Most of these players echo the same thing. Like they don't need like if if I'm the the GM of the Buccaneers, he doesn't need me to like him. He only needs one of the other 31 guys to like him. And I mm-hmm. promise you that one of the 31 other guys loves him. We talk about Devin White being drafted too high this year. Jamal Adams was drafted too high when he came out of college. And now Jets fans absolutely love the fact that they have Jamal Adams because he's a dog in their secondary that can make plays. And now they don't have to worry about that anymore. So they absolutely love having Jamal Adams because he produced up to his draft pick. So kind of what you were talking about, right? If you quote unquote overdraft a guy and he turns into a Hall of Famer, you're not going to care. Um, and that's kind of what the situation is with Devin White. That's the situation with any number five pick. I don't care who it is. If it's a quarterback and he never makes, you look at Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston has at least made a Pro Bowl and people are still talking about him like he's a bust. Uh, people still say that he he's not a franchise quarterback, that he should be replaced. And some of that has to do with some other stuff too. But the bottom line is if you're being drafted in the top five, in the top 10, you are expected to produce Pro Bowl seasons, all pro seasons. And if you don't, you're going to be considered a bust mo- more likely than not, unless your team wins like one or two or three Super Bowls in that same time frame. Even if you don't make the Pro Bowl, you may still avoid the bus tag. So no matter what position you draft, you're drafting a guy that you're expecting to perform. So 
when, when when we talk about all this all this stuff with who should the team draft and what should the team draft, it's again it goes back to what are we looking to fix? And if you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, again, Levante David's the only linebacker. There's only two starting interior linebackers in this class. Uh, uh, Devontae Bond. And Devontae Bond, my bad. <laughs> there's, I mean, Riley Bola, okay. Starting caliber linebackers, the only one we have right now in 2019 is Levante David. True. So, but you have Jason Pierre-Paul. You have Gerald McCoy. You have Carl Nassib. And I don't think Carl Nassib is ready to be in every snap, every down, starting defensive end in the National Football League. But I would take Carl Nassib as my starting defensive end before I take Devontae Bond as a starting interior linebacker. That's just the truth. So, again, that's how you kind of weigh all this stuff. And just like quarterbacks, okay, Dwayne Haskins is only a first-round draft pick because teams have that big of a need for a quarterback. He is not a first-round draft pick in a vacuum, so to speak. All right, he's very much a second-round quarterback if you're going to do things in a vacuum. But the NFL doesn't work in vacuums. That's that goes back to the whole thing where I hate when I hear people say, "Well, you got to draft the best player available." No, no, you got to draft for need. They're they're one in the same. They both go. They they both pitch into the same pot. You can't draft one without having the other anyway. And and real quick to, before we move on, I know we're kind of scattered all over the place anyway. But you mentioned Jakai Polite, and I don't know how I how I didn't even talk about this kid. So just to kind of put it out there, and, and there's been a lot of talk about him. This whole thing about bashing. When he was talking about teams bashing him and this team bashed me and they just bashed me in the room and all they want to do is bash me. He didn't mean that as a negative. He didn't mean that as a slight. That was just his word for they were grilling him about his deficiencies, which a lot of players during the week echoed the same sentiments. There were there were, there were multiple players who said, yeah, yeah, they showed me some bad plays and they said, hey, here's how we would like you to fix that. What do you think? And what they're looking to gauge is one your comprehension of what they're talking about Two, your ability to self scout and say, and accept that you have flaws and three, your maturity in handling that situation. Like if you're real quiet and you're like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Coach. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you're not a guy who takes criticism too well. You kind of got the boo-boo face going. That's going to go down the notebook. Not saying it's dropping your draft class. All the people who attack me over Jonah Williams, not saying it's dropping you in the draft class. What I'm saying is going to go down on the notebook. Okay. If you come back combative, you're an argumentative type. Again, it's going in the notebook. But if you're real with it and you look at Dalton Reisner in his conversation, he talked about meeting with the Buccaneers and they asked him how it went. He said, Oh, it went great. We looked over some film. They pointed out a couple plays where they were like, Hey, you could probably do this a little bit better. And I was like, Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. And I think it went really well. And if anything, I'm going to learn something from the meeting. That's kind of an upfront mature way that you really want to handle that situation, which is why Dalton Reisner knocked that crap out of the park. So it's important, but what has Jakai Polite's stock tumbling isn't the bash talk okay one of the things that has a tumbling is the fact that in the early part of his interview the dude literally said he doesn't watch film now i don't believe that's what he meant to say i think he might have misunderstood the question and it came out wrong because i don't believe that the university of florida doesn't at least have some organized film watching that they do you know what i mean um I'm sure that Ja'Kai Polite has broken down film before. However, then he shows up to the drills, and, and that's where all the speculation – like, he, he runs a slow 40. He jumps basically nothing uh, on his vertical. And then all of a sudden, there's this injury that he's had, 
that he's been dealing with, but it, it never came up before. And it's, it's kind of just a whole lot of weirdness that happened. He looked very soft. Uh, he looked like he was carrying a whole bunch of extra weight that he didn't need to be carrying that he wasn't carrying before. So it's just a lot of weirdness going on that just kind of questions um, not his love of the game, so to speak, but just kind of his dedication into being able to do this as an adult that doesn't have uh, a college kind of holding his hand and looking over his shoulder every every step of the day or every step of the way. So his pro day is huge because if he comes into his pro day fit, uh, healthy, able to execute the drills, able to execute the 40 better, able to execute a better vert, then it's going to help answer a lot of those questions. But that's where most of the tumbling is coming from is that aspect, not the bashing conversation because a lot of that was taken out of con taken out of context. And I have seen some tweets come out since then that said, Hey, in the moment, like listen to the actual question, and the response, this kid was not talking trash about the teams. Uh, there was just the word that he used is probably not the word most people would use. So it kind of comes across wrong when you first hear it or read it. Uh, so that's kind of my whole thing about polite, but he's definitely day two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, David, we are we are up against the clock. We've kind of it wasn't quite as organized as we thought it was going to be in our in our pre-show meeting, but we've hit on all the position groups. And, you know, it was um, I would say that this show was as hectic as our time in Indianapolis, wouldn't you? Amani Warrior from Penn State and Rocky Sin absolutely crushed the combine, which is great. However, it also sucks because I want both of them playing for the Bucks, which I know is probably not going to happen anyway. Uh, but both of those guys, I still think Aurorier, or I said it right the first time, Aurorier is probably still a day two guy. He might creep back up in the day one conversation, but I think Rock is, is solidified himself as a day two guy, which unfortunately I think is probably too high for the Buccaneers. Maybe third round. If Rock is still there in the third round, maybe. Uh, but those two guys really did a lot of good uh, at the combine for themselves, I think. Here's Here's my bold prediction. As of right now, and I reserve the right to alter this based on the results in free agency. Mm-hmm. Of course, but my bold prediction is the Buccaneers take a running back before they take a corner in the draft. And I know you disagree with me because you don't think they're <laughs> going to take a running back, but I I say that they will, and it would be before corner. I don't think they should take a running back until at least day three. Um, which they could take both on day three. Right. And I don't know that they will take a corner again. A lot depends on free agency. Like if the Buccaneers go into the draft with the same secondary they have now, or at least the same cornerback group as they have now, they've got to draft a corner in like the second round. Like if a warrior is there in the second round and they they haven't added an outside corner to go with Carlton Davis, they've got to draft him. Like they have to. Yeah, I would be highly upset if they didn't, actually. So that plays into that whole best player available draft for need thing. Like, True. yeah. But anyway, um, David, any any other closing thoughts on the D-line or linebackers? You you just had your closing thought on the corners or the uh, the time in Indianapolis. Devin White or Ed Oliver will be the Buccaneers' first-round draft pick, and Indianapolis was a blast. I uh, can't wait to do it again. It was amazing. Um, I will agree with you on – I'll agree with you on both. I think it's Oliver or White. I was going to change it up, but I I can't find a good, a good argument. I would say the only caveat 
is if Allen falls. But I still um, yeah, I can, yeah. If Josh Allen is there at five, if Josh Allen, so so huh, I don't know how much time we have. So you know how Jason Light said that he had five guys he wanted right now. So four out of those five are going to be Quentin Williams, Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, and Devin White. I don't think Bosa's Bosa's not getting there. I don't think Quentin Williams is getting there. So it's either going to be Allen or White. But I think with White, and I'm actually going to kind of gauge this and write this on Bucks Nation. Maybe I kind of plan on it. Uh, there's a stretch of teams that don't need a linebacker. So that's where Jason could kind of roll those dice a little bit. Kind of like with Vita Vea, where it's like, we like Vita. We want Vita based off of who is, who's already gone. We think we can slide back this far and still get them. So let's roll those dice. And they did, and it worked last year. I think with Devin White, it's a similar situation. I think Quinnen, Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, if any of the three are there, which they won't be, but if any of the three are there, you take them right now. You, you don't move back from five. You take them at five. But if it's Devin White or it's like an Ed Oliver, then what you're doing is you're kind of going into this thing, game planning, trying to look at some contingencies for trade-ups and all that other stuff, and you're like, we feel safe trading back to, I don't know, 10 with the Denver Broncos so they can move up and draft Drew Locke maybe. And at 10, we're confident that either Devin White or Ed Oliver will still be there. And if they're st- if they're both still there, then it's Devin White because Ed Oliver basically fills the Gerald McCoy role, maybe a little bit more athletically and obviously younger. Um, if Devin's gone, then you take Ed Oliver, and that is where we might see the hammer fall on Gerald McCoy. That's kind of the way I see it playing out right now. All right. Based off my sources, which is me. <laughs> Um, what are the sources? I say if Devin White doesn't get taken at four by the Raiders, he will fall to the back end of the top ten. Devin White's not getting traded or taken by the Raiders. The Raiders are trading up to take Kyler Murray. No way, Ugh. not happening. Unless they trade for AB, we'll see. I I think the Raiders take DK Metcalf. I think the Jets take DK Metcalf. <laughs> We'll have to talk about this another day because we are way beyond time. Yeah. Uh, make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. David and I are going to knock out a couple of voicemail episodes. So if you have any thoughts, reactions, ideas, anything based off of the Combine, the Donovan Smith thing, we have free agency coming up in less than a week now make sure you're giving us a call at 813-444-5841 hope you all have a wonderful enjoyable day and thank you all so much for joining us right here at locked on bucks Shop it,